Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Covey, the Negro Breaker. Journey to My New Masters, Meditations by the Way, View of Covey's Residence, The Family, The Author's Awkwardness as a Field Hand, A Cruel Beating, Why It Was Given, Description of Covey, First Adventure at Ox Driving, Hairbreadth escapes, ox and man alike property, Covey's manner of proceeding to whip, hard labor better than the whip for breaking down the spirit, cunning and trickery of Covey, family worship, shocking contempt for chastity, the author broken down, great mental agitation in contrasting the freedom of the ships with his own slavery, anguish beyond description. The morning of the 1st of January, 1834, with its chilling wind and pinching frost, quite in harmony with the winter in my own mind, found me with my little bundle of clothing on the end of a stick, swung across my shoulder on the main road, bending my way toward Covey's, whither I had been imperiously ordered by Master Thomas. The latter had been as good as his word, and had committed me without reserve to the mastery of Mr. Edward Covey. Eight or ten years had now passed since I had been taken from my grandmother's cabin in Tuckahoe, and these years, for the most part, I had spent in Baltimore, where, as the reader has already seen, I was treated with comparative tenderness. I was now about to sound profounder depths in slave life, the rigors of a field less tolerable than the field of battle awaited me. My new master was notorious for his fierce and savage disposition, and my only consolation in going to live with him was the certainty of finding him precisely as represented by common fame. There was neither joy in my heart nor elasticity in my step as I started in search of the tyrant's home. Starvation made me glad to leave Thomas Alves and the cruel lash made me dread to go to Covey's. Escape was impossible, so heavy and sad I paced the seven miles which separated Covey's house from St. Michael's, thinking much by the solitary way, averse to my condition, but thinking was all I could do. Like a fish in a net allowed to play for a time, I was now drawn rapidly to the shore, secured at all points." I am, thought I, but the sport of a power which makes no account either of my welfare or of my happiness. By a law which I can clearly comprehend, but cannot evade nor resist, 
i am ruthlessly snatched from the hearth of a fond grandmother and hurried away to the home of a mysterious old master again i am removed from there to a master in baltimore thence am i snatched away to the eastern shore to be valued with the beasts of the field and with them divided and set apart for a possessor then i am sent back to baltimore and by the time i have formed new attachments and have begun to hope that no more rude shocks shall touch me a difference arises between brothers and i am again broken up and sent to st michael's and now from the latter place i am footing my way to the home of a new master where i am given to understand that like a wild young working animal i am to be broken to the yoke of a bitter and lifelong bondage with thoughts and reflections like these i came in sight of a small wood-coloured building about a mile from the main road which from the description i had received at starting i easily recognised as my new home the chesapeake bay upon the jutting banks of which the little wood-coloured house was standing white with foam raised by the heavy north-west wind poplar island covered with a thick black pine forest standing out amid this half ocean and kent point stretching its sandy desert-like shores out into the foam-crested bay were all in sight and deepened the wild and desolate aspect of my new home the good clothes i had brought with me from baltimore were now worn thin and had not been replaced for master thomas was as little careful to provide us against cold as against hunger met here by a north wind sweeping through an open space of forty miles i was glad to make any port and therefore i speedily pressed on to the little wood-coloured house the family consisted of mr and mrs covey miss kemp a broken-backed woman a sister of mrs covey william hughes cousin to edward covey caroline the cook bill smith a hired man and myself bill smith bill hughes and myself were the working force of the farm which consisted of three or four hundred acres i was now for the first time in my life to be a field hand and in my new employment i found myself even more awkward than a green country boy may be supposed to be upon his first entrance into the bewildering scenes of city life and my awkwardness gave me much trouble strange and unnatural as it may seem i had been at my new home but three days before mr covey my brother in the methodist church gave me a bitter foretaste of what was in reserve for me i presume he thought that since he had but a single year in which to complete his work the sooner he began the better perhaps he thought that by coming to blows at once we should mutually better understand our relations but to whatever motive direct or indirect the cause may be referred i had not been in his possession three whole days before he subjected me to a most brutal chastisement under his heavy blows blood flowed freely and wails were left on my back as large as my little finger the sores on my back from this flogging continued for weeks for they were kept open by the rough and coarse cloth which i wore for shirting the occasion and details of this first chapter of my experience as a field hand must be told that the reader may see how unreasonable as well as how cruel my new master covey was the whole thing i found to be characteristic of the man and i was probably treated no worse by him than scores of lads who had previously been committed to him for reasons similar to those which induced my master to place me with him but here are the facts connected with the affair precisely as they occurred
on one of the coldest days of the whole month of january eighteen thirty four i was ordered at daybreak to get a load of wood from a forest about two miles from the house in order to perform this work mr covey gave me a pair of unbroken oxen for it seems his breaking abilities had not been turned in this direction and i may remark in passing that working animals in the south are seldom so well trained as in the north in due form and with all proper ceremony i was introduced to this huge yoke of unbroken oxen and was carefully told which was buck and which was darby which was the in-hand and which was the off-hand ox the master of this important ceremony was no less a person than mr covey himself and the introduction was the first of the kind i had ever had my life hitherto had led me away from horned cattle and i had no knowledge of the art of managing them what was meant by the in ox as against the off ox when both were equally fastened to one cart and under one yoke i could not very easily divine and the difference implied by the names and the peculiar duties of each were alike greek to me why was not the off ox called the in ox where and what is the reason for this distinction in names when there is none in the things themselves after initiating me into the woe back gee hither the entire spoken language between oxen and driver mr covey took a rope about ten feet long and one inch thick and placed one end of it around the horns of the in-hand ox and gave the other end to me telling me that if the oxen started to run away as the scamp knew they would i must hold on to the rope and stop them i need not tell any one who is acquainted with either the strength or the disposition of an untamed ox that this order was about as unreasonable as a command to shoulder a mad bull i had never driven oxen before and i was as awkward as a driver as it is possible to conceive it did not answer for me to plead ignorance to mr covey there was something in his manner that quite forbade that he was a man to whom a slave seldom felt any disposition to speak cold distant morose with a face wearing all the marks of captious pride and malicious sternness he repelled all advances covey was not a large man he was only about five feet ten inches in height i should think short-necked round shoulders a quick and wiry motion a thin and wolfish visage with a pair of small greenish-gray eyes set well back under a forehead without dignity and constantly in motion and floating his passions rather than his thoughts in sight but denying them utterance in words the creature presented an appearance altogether ferocious and sinister disagreeable and forbidding in the extreme when he spoke it was from the corner of his mouth and in a sort of light growl like a dog when an attempt is made to take a bone from him the fellow had already made me believe him even worse than he had been represented with his directions and without stopping to question i started for the woods quite anxious to perform my first exploit in driving in a creditable manner the distance from the house to the woods gate a full mile i should think was passed over with very little difficulty for although the animals ran i was fleet enough in the open field to keep pace with them especially as they pulled me along at the end of the rope but on reaching the woods i was speedily thrown into a distressing plight the animals took fright and started off ferociously into the woods carrying the cart full tilt against trees over stumps and dashing from side to side in a manner altogether frightful as i held the rope i expected every moment to be crushed between the cart 
and the huge trees among which they were so furiously dashing after running thus for several minutes my oxen were finally brought to a stand by a tree against which they dashed themselves with great violence upsetting the cart and entangling themselves among sundry young saplings by the shock the body of the cart was flung in one direction and the wheels and tongue in another and all in the greatest confusion there i was all alone in a thick wood to which i was a stranger my cart upset and shattered my oxen entangled wild and enraged and i poor soul but a green hand to set all this disorder right i knew no more of oxen than the ox-driver is supposed to know of wisdom after standing a few moments surveying the damage and disorder and not without a presentiment that this trouble would draw after it others even more distressing i took one end of the cart body and by an extra outlay of strength i lifted it toward the axle-tree from which it had been violently flung and after much pulling and straining i succeeded in getting the body of the cart in its place this was an important step out of the difficulty and its performance increased my courage for the work which remained to be done the cart was provided with an axe a tool with which i had become pretty well acquainted in the shipyard at baltimore with this i cut down the saplings by which my oxen were entangled and again pursued my journey with my heart in my mouth lest the oxen should again take it into their senseless heads to cut up a caper my fears were groundless their spree was over for the present and the rascals now moved off as soberly as though their behaviour had been natural and exemplary on reaching the part of the forest where i had been the day before chopping wood i filled the cart with a heavy load as a security against another running away but the neck of an ox is equal in strength to iron it defies all ordinary burdens when excited tame and docile to a proverb when well trained the ox is the most sullen and intractable of animals when but half broken to the yoke i now saw in my situation several points of similarity with that of the oxen they were property so was i they were to be broken so was i covey was to break me i was to break them break and be broken such is life half the day already gone and my face not yet homeward it required only two days experience and observation to teach me that such apparent waste of time would not be lightly overlooked by covey i therefore hurried toward home but on reaching the lane gate i met with the crowning disaster for the day this gate was a fair specimen of southern handicraft there were two huge posts eighteen inches in diameter rough-hued and square and the heavy gate was so hung on one of these that it opened only about half the proper distance on arriving here it was necessary for me to let go the end of the rope on the horns of the in-hand ox and now as soon as the gate was open and i let go of it to get the rope again off went my oxen making nothing of their load full tilt and in doing so they caught the huge gate between the wheel and the cart body literally crushing it to splinters and coming only within a few inches of subjecting me to a similar crushing for i was just in advance of the wheel when it struck the left gate post with these two hair-breadth escapes i thought i could successfully explain to mr covey the delay and avert apprehended punishment i was not without a faint hope of being commended for the stern resolution which i had displayed in accomplishing the difficult task a task which i afterwards learned even covey himself would not have undertaken without first driving the oxen for some time in the open field preparatory to their going into the woods but in this i was disappointed 
On coming to him, his countenance assumed an aspect of rigid displeasure, and as I gave him a history of the casualties of my trip, his wolfish face, with his greenish eyes, became intensely ferocious. "'Go back to the woods again,' he said, muttering something else about wasting time. I hastily obeyed, but I had not gone far on my way when I saw him coming after me. My oxen now behaved themselves with singular propriety, opposing their present conduct to my representation of their former antics. I almost wished, now that Covey was coming, they would do something in keeping with the character I had given them, but no, they had already had their spree, and they could afford now to be extra good, readily obeying my orders, and seeming to understand them quite as well as I did myself. On reaching the woods, my tormentor, who seemed all the way to be remarking upon the good behavior of his oxen, came up to me and ordered me to stop the cart, accompanying the same with the threat that he would now teach me how to break gates and idle away my time when he sent me to the woods. Suiting the action to the word, Covey paced off in his own wiry fashion to a large black gum tree, the young shoots of which are generally used for ox goads they being exceedingly tough. Three of these goads, from four to six feet long, he cut off and trimmed up with his large jack knife. This done, he ordered me to take off my clothes. To this unreasonable order I made no reply, but sternly refused to take off my clothing. If you will beat me, thought I, you shall do so over my clothes. After many threats, which made no impression on me, he rushed at me with something of the savage fierceness of a wolf, tore off the few and thinly worn clothes I had on, and proceeded to wear out on my back the heavy goads which he had cut from the gum tree. This flogging was the first of a series of floggings, and though very severe, it was less so than many which came after it, and these for offenses far lighter than the gate-breaking. I remained with Mr. Covey one year. I cannot say I lived with him, and during the first six months that I was there, I was whipped, either with sticks or cowskins, every week. Aching bones and a sore back were my constant companions. Frequent as the lash was used, Mr. Covey thought less of it as a means of breaking down my spirit than that of hard and long-continued labor. He worked me steadily up to the point of my powers of endurance. From the dawn of day in the morning till the darkness was complete in the evening, I was kept at hard work in the field or the woods. At certain seasons of the year we were all kept in the field till eleven and twelve o'clock at night. At these times Covey would attend us in the field and urge us on with words or blows as it seemed best to him. He had in his life been an overseer, and he well understood the business of slave-driving. There was no deceiving him. He knew just what a man or boy could do, and he held both to strict account. When he pleased, he would work himself like a very Turk, making everything fly before him. It was, however, scarcely necessary for Mr. Covey to be really present in the field, to have his work go on industriously. He had the faculty of making us feel that he was always present. By a series of adroitly managed surprises, which he practiced, I was prepared to expect him at any moment. His plan was never to approach the spot where his hands were at work in an open, manly, and direct manner. No thief was ever more artful in his devices than this man covey he would creep and crawl in ditches and gullies hide behind stumps and bushes and practice so much of the cunning of the serpent that bill smith and i between ourselves never called him by any other name than the snake we fancied that in his eyes and his gait 
we could see a snakish resemblance one half of his proficiency in the art of negro breaking consisted i should think in this species of cunning we were never secure he could see or hear us nearly all the time he was to us behind every stump tree bush and fence on the plantation he carried this kind of trickery so far that he would sometimes mount his horse and make believe he was going to st michael's and in thirty minutes afterward you might find his horse tied in the woods and the snake-like covey lying flat in the ditch with his head lifted above its edge or in a fence corner watching every movement of the slaves i have known him walk up to us and give us special orders as to our work in advance as if he were leaving home with a view of being absent several days and before he got halfway to the house he would avail himself of our inattention to his movements to turn short on his heels conceal himself behind a fence corner or a tree and watch us until the going down of the sun mean and contemptible as is all this it is in keeping with the character which the life of a slaveholder is calculated to produce there is no earthly inducement in the slave's condition to incite him to labor faithfully the fear of punishment is the sole motive for any sort of industry with him knowing this fact as the slaveholder does and judging the slave by himself he naturally concludes the slave will be idle whenever the cause for this fear is absent hence all sorts of petty deceptions are practised to inspire this fear but with mr covey trickery was natural everything in the shape of learning or religion which he possessed was made to conform to this semi-lying propensity he did not seem conscious that the practice had anything unmanly base or contemptible about it it was a part of an important system with him essential to the relation of master and slave i thought i saw in his very religious devotions this controlling element of his character a long prayer at night made up for the short prayer in the morning and few men could seem more devotional than he when he had nothing else to do mr covey was not content with the cold style of family worship adopted in these cold latitudes which begin and end with a simple prayer no the voice of praise as well as of prayer must be heard in his house night and morning at first i was called upon to bear some part in these exercises but the repeated flogging given me by covey turned the whole thing into mockery he was a poor singer and mainly relied on me for raising the hymn for the family and when i failed to do so he was thrown into much confusion i do not think that he ever abused me on account of these vexations his religion was a thing altogether apart from his worldly concerns he knew nothing of it as a holy principle directing and controlling his daily life making the latter conform to the requirements of the gospel one or two facts will illustrate his character better than a volume of generalities i have already said or implied that mr edward covey was a poor man he was in fact just commencing to lay the foundation of his fortune as fortune is regarded in a slave state the first condition of wealth and respectability there being the ownership of human property every nerve is strained by the poor man to obtain it and very little regard is had to the manner of obtaining it in pursuit of this object pious as mr covey was he proved himself to be as unscrupulous and base as the worst of his neighbours in the beginning he was only able as he said to buy one slave and scandalous and shocking as is the fact he boasted that he bought her simply as a breeder but the worst is not told in this naked statement this young woman caroline was her name was virtually compelled by mr covey to abandon herself to the object for which he had purchased her and the result was the birth of twins at the end of the year at this addition to his human stock both edward covey and his wife susan were ecstatic with joy 
No one dreamed of reproaching the woman or finding fault with the hired man, Bill Smith, the father of the children, for Mr. Covey himself had locked the two up together every night, thus inviting the result. But I will pursue this revolting subject no further. No better illustration of the unchaste and demoralizing character of slavery can be found than is furnished in the fact that this professedly Christian slaveholder, amidst all his prayers and hymns, was shamelessly and boastfully encouraging and actually compelling in his own house undisguised and unmitigated fornication as a means of increasing his human stock. I may remark here that while this fact will be read with disgust and shame at the North, it will be laughed at as smart and praiseworthy in Mr. Covey at the South, for a man is no more condemned there for buying a woman and devoting her to this life of dishonor than for buying a cow and raising stock from her. The same rules are observed with a view to increasing the number and quality of the former as of the latter. I will here reproduce what I said of my own experience in this wretched place more than ten years ago. If at any one time of my life, more than another, I was made to drink the bitterest dregs of slavery, that time was during the first six months of my stay with Mr. Covey. We were worked all weathers. It was never too hot or too cold. It could never rain, blow, snow, or hail too hard for us to work in the field. Work, work, work was scarcely more the order of the day than of the night. The longest days were too short for him, and the shortest nights were too long for him. I was somewhat unmanageable when I first went there, but a few months of this discipline tamed me. Mr. Covey succeeded in breaking me. I was broken in body, soul, and spirit. My natural elasticity was crushed. My intellect languished. The disposition to read departed. The cheerful spark that lingered about my eye died. The dark night of slavery closed in upon me, and behold, a man transformed into a brute. Sunday was my only leisure time. I spent this in a sort of beast-like stupor, between sleep and wake under some large tree. At times I would rise up, a flash of energetic freedom would dart through my soul, accompanied with a faint beam of hope that flickered for a moment and then vanished. I sank down again, mourning over my wretched condition. I was sometimes prompted to take my life and that of Covey, but was prevented by a combination of hope and fear. My sufferings on this plantation seemed now like a dream rather than a stern reality. Our house stood within a few rods of the Chesapeake Bay, whose broad bosom was ever white with sails from every quarter of the habitable globe. Those beautiful vessels, robed in purest white, so delightful to the eye of free men, were to me so many shrouded ghosts to terrify and torment me with thoughts of my wretched condition. I have often in the deep stillness of a summer Sabbath stood all alone upon the banks of that noble bay, and traced with saddened heart and tearful eye the countless number of sails moving off to the mighty ocean. The sight of these always affected me powerfully. My thoughts would compel utterance, and there, with no audience but the Almighty, I would pour out my soul's complaint in my rude way, with an apostrophe to the moving multitude of ships. You are loosed from your moorings, and free I am fast in my chains, and am a slave. You move merrily before the gentle gale, and I sadly before the bloody whip. You are freedom's swift-winged angels that fly around the world. I am confined in bands of iron. Oh, that I were free! Oh, that I were on one of your gallant decks and under your protecting wing! Alas, betwixt me and you the turbid waters roll. Go on, go on! Oh, that I could also go! Could I but swim if I could fly! Oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me! God, deliver me! Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear. I'll try it. 
I had as well die with ague as with fever. I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running as die standing. Only think of it. One hundred miles straight north and I am free. Try it? Yes. God helping me, I will. It cannot be that I shall live and die a slave. I will take to the water. This very bay shall bear me into freedom. The steamboat steered in a northeast coast from North Point. I will do the same. And when I get to the head of the bay, I will turn my canoe adrift and walk straight through Delaware into Pennsylvania. When I get there, I shall not be required to have a pass. I will travel without being disturbed. Let but the first opportunity offer, and come what will, I am off. Meanwhile, I will try to bear up under the yoke. I am not the only slave in the world. Why should I fret? I can bear as much as any of them. Besides, I am but a boy, and all boys are bound to someone. It may be that my misery in slavery will only increase my happiness when I get free. There is a better day coming. I shall never be able to narrate the mental experience through which it was my lot to pass during my stay at Covey's. I was completely wrecked, changed, and bewildered, goaded almost to madness at one time, and at another reconciling myself to my wretched condition. Everything in the way of kindness which I had experienced at Baltimore, all my former hopes and aspirations for usefulness in the world, and the happy moments spent in the exercises of religion, contrasted with my then-present lot, but increased my anguish. I suffered bodily as well as mentally. I had neither sufficient time in which to eat or to sleep except on Sundays. The overwork and the brutal chastisements of which I was the victim, combined with that ever-gnawing and soul-devouring thought, I am a slave, a slave for life, a slave with no rational ground to hope for freedom, rendered me a living embodiment of mental and physical wretchedness. End of chapter 15 Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to solgood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G.